Good morning. So good to be with you this morning and worship together. Here from Psalm 103. Why don't you stand as I read. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. O give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him and tell of his wondrous works. Let's sing to him this morning. Sing to our king. Raise your voices as we worship together as a family here at Pitts. Let's sing together. Sing to the king is coming to reign. as we celebrate together the ordinance of baptism this morning. Well, good morning, church. Isn't it great to know that we belong to Jesus and that we can come to this place this morning and we stand in his righteousness and in his righteousness alone. If we stood in our own, we wouldn't get very far, would we? But thankfully, we stand in the righteousness of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and this morning we get to celebrate baptism, and uh, we know that baptism is a symbol of what the Lord Jesus did himself, but it's also a symbol of what has taken place on the inside of every believer. 
that we have died to our sin and self and we've been raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. We've been saved by grace. And today we have two candidates who have come this morning to profess to you their belief in him, their salvation in him, that they stand in his righteousness alone this morning. So our first candidate is Jack Gilliland. Jack came to me last summer after youth one night and tears in his eyes. He was like, what do I need to do to be saved? And that night after youth group, we sat together in a room, we talked and we prayed and he received the Lord Jesus as his savior. Jack, is it your profession of faith that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith and in obedience with the Lord's commands, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my brother Jack, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. We have friends or family of Jack this morning. Would you guys please stand as well? Right here. Amen. Glad you guys are here. Next, we have Raina Hample. Raina's been uh, a, a longtime member of our church. You've been coming here probably since you before, before you were born, right? So uh, she's known the Lord for some time, but just recently recommitted her life to Christ, and it was her desire to be baptized to tell you that she is committed to the Lord Jesus. Raina, is it your testimony that Jesus is Lord and he's the Lord of your life? Yes. Amen. Amen. Then upon your profession of faith and in obedience with the Lord's commands, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my sister Raina, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Bear with Christ in the likeness of his death. Raised to walk in the newness of the Christian life. Do we have family members of Raina, friends and family of Raina, would you guys please stand this morning? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's continue in worship. Well, good morning. It's always exciting to start the service with that. Amen. We want to thank you for being with us in worship. I know there's a lot of friends and visitors with us today. If you would do us a favor, there's a care card located there in front of you in the pew rack. Uh, if you would take a moment and fill in your name and information, we want to at least send you something from Pitts uh, to thank you for being with us in worship. And then on the back of the care card, uh, there's a place to request information if you want more information about the church. And then also a place for all of us to put any prayer requests you might have. Uh, we as church staff get these and we pray for you. And so uh, if, when you leave today, as you go out, there's two boxes on either side of the double door, the giving boxes that are there. Just place it in that slot, and the ladies will come out and get those and make sure that the pastoral staff has that and is praying for you. So please take a moment to do that. That's a, a tool that we uh, don't realize how powerful that tool is because it allows us to pray for you. But please take a moment to do that. Uh, we have been collecting supplies for two of our local elementary schools over the past several weeks. In the past, we have done backpacks, but they didn't need those this year. They just needed some supplies. There are supply lists available in the lobbies of this building in the core. Today is the deadline for that, but you can bring those by the office tomorrow if you'd like so that we can deliver those this week. But that helps out our local uh, public elementary schools uh, greatly. So if you can help us with that, that would be great. This Tuesday is Friendly Neighbors. That's our community senior adult lunch. And we would love to invite you to come at 1130 down in the core gym. There's usually a program for that, and they finish by about 1 o'clock. The food is always awesome. Folks bring that. Uh, the theme this time is a soup and salad lunch, and that's always one of my favorites. But anyway, that's this Tuesday at 1130 down in the core. There's also a new ladies' Bible study starting on Thursday, August the 6th. Uh, He's Where the Joy Is by Tara Lee Coble. It's a seven-week study. The study guide is $20, and you can pay that at the first session when you come. There are two options on those Thursdays, one at 10 in the morning and one at 630 
uh, in the evening, and there's a sign-up sheet at the information desk in the lobby here in this building. Saturday of Hope is coming up. It's the last Saturday of August, August 26th, and uh, that'll start at 8 o'clock with breakfast in the core gym. We'll have all types of projects for you to be involved in. Students third grade and up can come as long as they're with parent uh, with the parent supervision, and we will try to finish those projects by noon. There's a sign-up sheet right here in the worship center lobby at the information desk. And then just saving save a date, uh, church-wide picnic on Sunday, September 24th. We haven't done that in a long time. That'll be out at Frank Lisk in the evening. Be watching for more details. That's always a great time to get together. We're going to pray, but I want to ask you to take just a moment where you're seated to get silent before God and just take a few uh, seconds, really, uh, to quiet your heart before Him, maybe confess some things, and ask God to bless this time that we have together to worship as a church family. Uh, I know there are people in this congregation who are hurting, and so let's pray together, and then I'll open up out loud. God, we thank you for your blessings. It's a blessing this morning to see Raina uh, and Jack give a public testimony of what you have done in their lives, God. And I pray that if there are those in this room who have never made a decision to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, that maybe even today would be the day when your Holy Spirit goes to them and speaks to their heart. God, I pray they would say yes. They would, they would make that decision to become your child, your follower, and then be able to do the same testimony that was given today. Maybe there are some here that have been saved and made that decision, but have not yet made it public through baptism. Maybe that's their decision today. Maybe there are folks here today who need to join a family of believers to be encouraged and uh, just be a part of a family that loves you and encourages them to be a part of that too, God. Whatever it is, you work in people's hearts today. And God, we pray you'd speak through the mouth of our pastor today. I know he has a message you've given him. So God, just use him as your vessel today and speak through his mouth to our hearts, God. We do pray for the requests in this room. You know there are many. We know there are people who are hurting with a situation, maybe with a family or a, a friend or a situation at work. God, whatever it is, we pray you give them wisdom to know what to do, God. Just be with them in a special way with each request. You know those better than we do. So God, just we, we give you this time. We've come together corporately as a body of believers. And in, in a way, God, it's not really for us. It's for you. And so as we sing, help us to sing those songs to you. As we listen to your message, that it would be glorifying to you, God. And that this would be a time pleasing to you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Would you stand? We have witnessed what God has done in the lives of these people, but He's done so much for all of us. This is a newer song for us, but I think you'll catch on. The words are so good. What He's done in our lives. Let's declare it together this morning. Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. Look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from His side, no greater sacrifice. What He's done, what He's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. Sing for the freedom He has won. 
Even death is dead and done. His life has overcome. And speak, say the name above all names, over every broken place. He is risen from the grave. What he's done, what he's done, all the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven, my future is heaven. I praise God. throne of majesty the father's will complete he reigns in victory and sing hallelujah to the king he is worthy to receive all the worship we can This is my car. 
Good singing. Take your Bibles out and turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 as we continue in our series through the gospel of Mark. Looking this morning at the subject matter, Jesus' betrayal and suffering. Jesus' betrayal and suffering. I've really wrestled with how to do this message. You almost do it an injustice if you divide up all of these different uh, pericopes or paragraphs, if you divide them up and don't see the whole, uh, I, I think you almost do violence to the text in, in a sense. And so I want us to look at a large portion this morning, which makes it a challenge to get through it. 
And uh, for that reason, I'm going to ask you to read with me very carefully as we stand in a moment and read our text because later on with the various points uh, in the text, I'm not going to be able to go through and reiterate some of these passages uh, again, just due to the size, the, the block of Scripture we're looking at today. And so I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin reading in verse 32 and read all the way down through verse 72 uh, at, there, at the end of the uh, chapter. Mark 14, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came, came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and, and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? 
You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this, this man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Folks, you and I should never underestimate the level the sheer level of agony and suffering that the Lord Jesus experienced so that we might have eternal life, so that we might have peace with God and be forgiven of our sins. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Today we're going to look at the magnitude of Christ's suffering. And in seeing the magnitude of Christ's suffering, what should become obvious to us as well is the magnitude of God's love for us. You know, in the book of Romans and in the other epistles, we read such wonderful truths, gospel truths, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but, but the Lord has laid on him our iniquity, and he was the atoning sacrifice. He was the propitiation for our sins. Though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Such wonderful gospel truths. And what we see here in the Gospels and Mark and the other three Gospels is the real life narrative of the life of Christ, of his suffering, his crucifixion, his resurrection. We see the real life narrative that the Gospel truths in the epistles are based upon. And again, as we see this story unfold, we ought to be moved by the level, by the extent of God's love. And also by the extent of what Christ went through so that we might have life. And if anything, that ought to result in a greater gratitude to God on our part and a greater resolve that we're going to live for Him in all that we say and do. And so first of all this morning I want you to see that Christ would have to pray alone. I mentioned last week that what Christ did at the cross he had to do alone. He had to do it alone because he was the only one that could do what he was doing here. And here we see that Jesus was even alone in his prayer time before that dreaded hour. Remember in Mark's gospel, Mark has consistently shown that Jesus was a man of prayer. 
In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we see Jesus getting up way before daylight and going out to a lonely place so that by himself he can spend time with the Heavenly Father. Even though everybody was looking for him, he, he prioritized that time in prayer with his Heavenly Father. All through the Gospel of Mark, we see Christ praying. We get to the end of the Gospel, and again, Mark is presenting Jesus as a man of of prayer and that ought to say volumes to us here he was the perfect son of God and he needed prayer so much how much more do we need to be men and women of prayer verse 32 says they came to a place called Gethsemane now the name Gethsemane literally means the olive press it was a place at the bottom of the Mount of Olives where olives were grown and pressed. They were squeezed to get every drop of oil out of them. Today, tour guides will carry you through the Garden of Gethsemane and they will point out various olive trees several thousand years old, some of which would have been there when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And how fitting the name Olive Press because Christ was about to be crushed in a sense. Here is where the battle was ultimately won. I want you to think about it. In the garden, at the beginning of the Bible, the first Adam essentially said, not your will be done, but my will be done. But here in the Garden of Gethsemane, the second Adam says, not my will be done, but Lord, your will be done. He has the disciples sit, but he takes the inner circle, James and John and Simon Peter with him to pray. What does he want them to do? He wants them to watch and pray with him. Folks, what is it that you and I want in life when we're going through some of the deepest, darkest valleys of life, some of the biggest trials we could possibly go through in life? What is it that we want from our brothers and sisters in Christ? We want other people to simply pray with us. Maybe some of you right now are going through a time like that. Something's happened in your family. Maybe you've got a rebellious mate or a child or something's going on in your work. And more than anything else in your life, you just simply want your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray with you. And that's what Jesus wanted here. The Bible says he was very distressed and troubled. Don't discount that because remember folks, Jesus was also fully human. Yes, he's fully divine, but he's also fully human. And sometimes we want to take away some of the human qualities from Jesus. But let's remember he possessed human qualities fully, completely, yet without sin. And we can be thankful that he was fully human because that means when we're in times of trouble, we know we have a sympathetic high priest who's been through the same type stuff in life that we've been through, yet he did it without sin. And so we can go before him and know that he's going to help us go through those same situations. He knew what the agony of the cross would be. He knew what it would be to have the wrath of God on him. In the Old Testament, we see many places in the Bible where the Bible speaks of the cup, the cup of God's wrath being poured out on sin. Jesus is asking here, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You see, there on the cross, Jesus' death was much more than simply one man dying for other men in an example of love. Some people try to reduce the, the cross to that. They say that what we see in the cross is nothing more than just one man dying for other men to give us an example of how we're to love one another. Well, that's true on a certain level, but folks, so much more was happening on the cross than a man simply dying is a good example. 
Think of all of those Old Testament symbols of the scapegoat and the sacrificial lamb. All of those symbols about to be fulfilled in Christ. In the scapegoat, the high priest would lay hands on the goat and symbolically transfer all of the sins of the community onto that goat. And then they would send the goat away from their presence. And then the sacrificial lamb would be slain in a ceremonial act that looked back to the Passover lamb that was slain in Exodus. This 12. Well, what we are about to see, or, or what we see in those Old Testament uh, scenes, and what we see here is that God is now providing the perfect Lamb of God, the one who is the perfect scapegoat and the perfect Lamb of God. And Jesus will be the one that all of our sins will be placed on Him, and He will die in our stead. Remember Isaiah 53 that all we like sheep have gone astray and the Lord has placed on him the iniquity of us all. This is what Jesus is about to accomplish. In his death on the cross all of the wrath of God against sin is going to be poured out but it will be poured out on a substitute. Jesus dies as our substitute. Instead of God's wrath being poured out on you and on me, God poured it out on his son. Jesus died as a substitute for us. He died in our place. He was the perfect lamb of God. And remember, the sacrifice had to be perfect. And this is why the sacrifices in the Old Testament had to be done over and over again until God would send the perfect lamb that would never have to be slain again. All of this explains why Christ is in such agony. He's about to endure this experience of all of the Father's wrath against sin being poured out upon him. This is why he had come to the earth. But it was still a very agonizing thing to face. And so again, I would say to you this morning, don't discount the suffering of Jesus. Don't discount the effect of sin and the wrath of God against sin. Just because Jesus had come for this very reason doesn't mean that he wasn't in dread of the horrible suffering and rejection that he was about to encounter. In fact, Jesus' dread here should speak volumes to us about how horrible this event was going to be. And it ought to say something to us about how seriously God views our sin. And so what's Christ pray? He prays that there might be, might could be another way. But nonetheless, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And folks, let that be a lesson to us in our prayers too. Sometimes we cry out to God for Him to do something. We cry to Him and cry to Him and pray and pray and pray that He would do something and He doesn't do it that way. In fact, He might even have you go through what you dread. Christ experienced that. And He did it all for us. He came to the disciples, the very men he wanted joining him in prayer, and they're fast asleep. Remember, they've they've communicated how bold and brave they're going to be. And yet, what's he find? They're all asleep. Even Simon Peter, who had claimed that he was going to be bolder than everybody else. Here he is. He's fast asleep as well. And Jesus gave them a warning that continues to provide volumes of instruction to people today. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. In other words, in the the greatest times of need and distress and trials in our lives, folks, those are the very times we need to be watching the closest and we need to be praying. Why? Because temptation is knocking at our door. And he said, prayer to our Heavenly Father that we're going to find strength. It's no wonder in Luke's gospel, in Luke 18, Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. 
Because so oftentimes, what do we do? We faint, we give up, we despair if we're not praying. And so Jesus told a parable in Luke 18 about a persistent widow who wouldn't give up. Sometimes in bad situations, we tend to do everything but pray. We panic, and then we just go off and do something very uh, selfish or, or, or maybe something very foolish. But again, we need to pray. Are we men and women of prayer? Are you committed to prayer in the most difficult times of your life? You know, as Jesus said here, your spirit is willing. You want to. I know you want to. We all want to. Our spirits are willing. But he said oftentimes the flesh is weak. We know we need to be praying and we just don't. We neglect prayer and we turn to something else. Well, secondly, I want you to see from verse 41, Christ was betrayed publicly with a sign of friendship. I want you to think about this as well. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, and yet God has put it on uh, display in his word that Jesus was going to be betrayed and rejected. Now, folks, you've got to admit, this is hardly a storyline that, that we would write if we were writing this storyline. But God did it this way for a purpose. Because through his rejection, he was betrayed. Through his betrayal, he was crucified. Through his crucifixion, he was raised. And it's through his crucifixion and resurrection that you and I can be saved. God had a purpose in this. There was nothing secretive about the life of Jesus. There was nothing hidden. Jesus says here, you've heard me teach publicly in the temple and in the streets. Jesus' life, his ministry was very public and transparent. You know, some of these modern day cult leaders, it's amazing some of the cloak of of secrecy that is about their lives. But Jesus' life was an open book. And here Judas leads the authorities to Jesus and betrays Jesus with a kiss. What a disgraceful thing to do. To use a symbol of love and friendship to betray somebody. But that's exactly what Judas does. It's no wonder that nobody names their sons Judas anymore. Again, just take a moment to try to take in this whole scene. And how alone Christ felt in this as he's being betrayed. No doubt at some point in your life you felt alone. Maybe it was a courageous stand you took at school or work. Maybe you, maybe you have... Maybe you've lost a best friend and the next thing you knew your best friend was telling others things about you that were not true at all or that you considered private between you and that person. Probably all of us at some point have felt very lonely and very betrayed. We need to understand that Jesus also went through that on a level that you and I will never be able to fully identify with. And so again, the fact of the matter is, whatever you're going through in life, Jesus has been there. He's been there to a worse degree, yet without sin. We see here the faithfulness of Jesus being set over against the unfaithfulness of men. And you know, it reminds us of what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, Timothy, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. I'm glad Jonathan had us sing that song before the message today. Great is thy faithfulness because God is faithful even when you and I are not. Judas betrays Jesus. Again, with a sign of friendship of all things, a kiss. Now, obviously, this didn't take Jesus by surprise. Remember, he said, I've chosen you, and yet one of you is a devil. 
at the last supper together, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And he told Judas what you are about to do, do quickly. And so we need to know that, that Jesus fully knew all of this is going to happen. This is part of God's plan. And in fact, in the book of Acts, the book of Acts says that God had raised Judas up and appointed Judas for this very purpose. Like I said to you last week, while we see the sovereignty of God in this, at the same time, Judas was still responsible for his actions. That tension, we're going to have to be satisfied to live with that tension. God is sovereign and appoints things, and yet those involved are not puppets. They're responsible. Judas is responsible for what he's doing. We know what might have motivated him. We're told elsewhere in the gospel he was greedy. He held the money purse for the disciples. He was a thief. You know, we can, we can speculate what was going on here in, in Judas's mind. You've probably heard some things before, which, by the way, I don't think you can support from Scripture. But there's, there's a thought going around about Judas that Judas actually meant well in what he was doing here. That he believed in Jesus. He was following Jesus as the Messiah. And what he was trying to do was he's trying to just get Jesus to force the issue and overthrow Rome faster. He's still thinking Jesus is going to overthrow Rome this Passover week and set up his earthly kingdom. And things aren't happening as quickly in Judas's mind as Judas would like things to happen. And so there's a thought out there that Judas is doing all of this, taking the 30 pieces of silver and betraying, betraying Jesus just simply because he's trying to hurry things along. Well, there's a problem with that. Scripture doesn't support that. Judas is nowhere painted as a pretty good guy who meant well, who was just mistaken. He was a wicked man with a bad heart and a selfish heart, motivated by money. And the religious leaders saw this. They saw that they had an open door, an opportunity with Judas. They repeatedly tried to trap Jesus and all of their efforts have failed. But now they see that they've got somebody on the inside, one among Jesus' disciples. And they can get him to betray him and do what they've been unable to do so far. Well, when Judas led the authorities to Jesus, notice the group came, that came with them, probably the special temple police. It was the temple police along with the religious leaders. The temple police were a special force of men who kept order in the temple area and on the temple grounds, but they had no authority to kill. And so that's why they have to drag Jesus off to Pilate. Folks, this is quite a commotion going on here. Here go all these temple police and all these religious leaders led by Judas. It's night. They have their torches burning. They're on a mission. Judas knows where they're going to be able to find him. And that seems to suggest that the Garden of Gethsemane is a place that Jesus must have often retired to with his disciples. Again, you go there today and there's the neatest cave right there at the Garden of Gethsemane. You step down a few steps into this cave that's probably about 800 square feet. And it's believed that this is where the disciples would have been spending the night as Jesus is out in the garden praying. Remember, it's night. Judas has arranged a signal. He's going to kiss the one the authorities are, are looking for. And the word for kiss here is a word that suggests that Judas delivered a long, intimate kiss on Jesus' cheek. It wasn't just a quick little peck. This was a long, involved kiss on Jesus' cheek. That's the word here. 
Dr. Kent Hughes says it so graphically. It was the prostitution of one of humanity's most sacred symbols, a kiss. And think of the hypocrisy here. Judas walks up and says, Rabbi, my teacher, my master, and kisses him with a kiss of affection. Knowing the whole time what he's doing, he's betraying Jesus. This is where we get our saying today, the kiss of death. Psalm 55 says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, a familiar friend. You know, betrayal is always bad, but even worse when it's by a friend. Mark's very quick with the details here. He doesn't go into a lot of detail, not as much as the other gospel writers, but he points out how somebody strikes uh, the, the, one of the ones standing near the high priest. The other gospels tell us it, it's Peter who did this. And the name of the servant that he struck with the sword is given. It, it, it's Malchus. And also we're told that elsewhere that Jesus told Peter to put up his sword. And he healed Malchus' ear. Jesus' next words show how exaggerated the authorities are being. It's as though they've come expecting a great fight, and perhaps they were. And so what do they do? They bring all these guards. And Jesus says, why are you coming to me like this? You're coming to me like I'm some revolutionary who's about to start a war. Am I leading some kind of rebellion? Do you not know who I am and what I've stood for? You've heard me again teaching publicly. You know that's not what I'm about. Jesus' enemies here have chosen a very interesting way of doing things. Showing how afraid of the crowds they were. But there's something else we're to see here. We're to see more. Jesus has done everything in the light. He's done everything openly. And here they're doing things in the dark. They're doing things secretly and underhandedly. We're to see this contrast that's going on here. There's a message in that. Then very quickly, I'm not going to spend much time here because we're going to come back to it. Thirdly, Jesus is abandoned by his friends. They all flee. We looked at that last week. The prophecy from Zechariah 13, 7 that the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. Verse 50 here points out that they all fled. And then tradition says uh, that John Mark, the one writing this gospel, was the one being referred to in 51 and 52 who had that outer garment on and he, it was grabbed a hold of and he just came out of that garment and ran around, ran around naked. For now, Mark then just carries us straight into the interrogation scene. So let's quickly jump to that. Fourthly, Jesus is tried by his enemies. 53 to 65. We get to the trial of Jesus during, during this particular night, and there's all kinds of problems. At every turn, folks, these proceedings are illegal. Now let me say we got to be a little careful here. The Jewish writings, the rabbinic writings that were written down and composed that would have pointed out that all of these proceedings were so illegal the way they're doing everything. The, the Mishnah, it, it wasn't fully completed in written form until 220 A.D. Almost another 200 years before it's all written down. Now, it, there was an oral tradition behind what they're writing. So we've got to be careful of saying they were breaking protocol at every level. But because of the accuracy of oral tradition, they probably were. They were, they were doing so many things wrong, so many things illegal. For instance, you couldn't hold a trial at night. 
Second, the verdict in a capital case couldn't be reached until the second day. This would mean that trials couldn't be held on the eve of the Sabbath or feast day because verdicts and trials couldn't take place then. We know that this is the eve of the Passover. Thirdly, witnesses had to be warned to, to relate only true firsthand testimony. Here they're producing false testimony. Fourth, those accused of blasphemy could be convicted only if they reviled the divine name. Jesus certainly doesn't do that. Fifth, trials could not be held in the palace of the high priest. And then sixth, the Old Testament does not specify crucifixion as punishment, but stoning. They're going to follow the Roman thing of crucifixion. The point is, they're doing so many things illegally under the cloak of darkness. That's what's going on here. Mark, as I mentioned, Mark even tells us they couldn't get the, the, the witnesses to agree on anything. And you know, that's the, that's the problem with false testimony. Isn't it? The easiest thing to do is to do what? Just tell the truth. People start lying and they get all their, their scheme of things all mixed up and turned around. That's what's going on here. Finally, Jesus is asked to comment, and he says nothing. Again, what did Isaiah 53 point out? If you were to go back and read that chapter in its entirety, it would tell us that like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And then they ask him directly about his identity. He stated clearly who he is because he always speaks the truth, even when it cost him dearly. And that's what he does here. He speaks the truth. And then we're told once again about his friends abandoning him. And the focus gets in on Peter. Look at verse 54. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the good thing we could say about Peter is at least he's there. Apparently many of the others have fled away. But look at what Peter has done in this whole thing. He was sleeping instead of watching and praying. Now he's following Jesus, but he's following Jesus at a distance. And he's warming himself at the same fire as where some of the enemies of Christ are. Boy, this ought to be a warning to us. If we're not vigilant in prayer, if we're only following Jesus at a distance, and if we're warming ourselves with the wrong crowd, hanging out with the wrong crowd, we better look out. We might be ripe for denying and dishonoring Jesus. And that's exactly what Simon Peter does. The servant girl accuses him. He denies that he knows Jesus. She accuses him again. He denies it stronger. Others join in and accuse. He begins calling down curses on himself. Here's Simon Peter, the very one who said he would be so strong and that Jesus could count on him. And look at what Peter is doing. He's so weak. He's so weak. But to his his credit, what's Peter do? He goes out and weeps. Folks, that's what sin ought to do to our hearts. Sin ought to break our hearts. It ought to just absolutely break our hearts. We ought to weep and repent over those times that we have failed Jesus or denied him in any way. And you know, because Peter did this, we're told later in John's gospel, Jesus met Simon Peter on a beach one morning and he restored Simon Peter to fellowship. And promised Peter he wasn't done with him yet. Judas denies him and goes out and hangs himself. Peter weeps and and repents. Uh, Peter's a broken man. Folks, the truth of the matter is in some way we all fail Jesus from time to time. What do you do with that failure? What you do with your failure determines a great deal whether Jesus can continue to use you or not. 
let me give you some takeaways for, for today. Lesson number one, understand the resolve and faithfulness Jesus displayed even in his greatest moment of hardship. Showing us what? God is faithful even when we're not. Again, understand the resolve and faithfulness Jesus displayed even in his greatest moment of hardship. Secondly, in hard times of life, we need to follow the example of Jesus and watch and pray. Folks, it is far too easy to neglect what we need the most. Thirdly, if we fail to pray and if we run with the wrong crowd and follow Christ at a distance as Peter did, we are ripe for even denying that we are a Christian. And then lastly, after failure or denial, the only response we should have is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the great gospel truths that we read about here in Scripture. Again, we see the, we, we see the background, we see the real-life narrative of all of those wonderful gospel truths that the apostles will emphasize in the epistles. Lord, help us to see today the agony and the pain of Jesus. Help us to see his loneliness, the sadness of betrayal, the hatred of his enemies. God, I pray that we'll let these things really sink in. And that through it all, we'll understand in a renewed way the magnitude of your love for us. God, I pray that, that this scene here would, would impact our lives, would impact our own devotion. When we see what you went through. So that our names could be there in your book of life. Lord, may we take stock of where we are in our discipleship, our commitment to you. Lord, thank you that you laid it all on the line for us. Thank you that you suffered. And you went through this. That we might be reconciled to a holy God. You shed your blood. You laid down your life. That we might be forgiven. God, may that impact how we act in the office in the morning. How we treat our neighbor today. How we treat our mate. Our family members. Thank you for your great love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.